Hey guys, my name is Ben Berman and welcome to the Starting It Up podcast where I interview all types of entrepreneurs uncovering actionable steps and inspiration that you can use to build your business, your side hustle, whatever it is that you're trying to create and live the life you've always wanted. In this episode, we're talking with Tom Marchant, who is an entrepreneur known for launching some of the fastest growing brands in the luxury travel and lifestyle sector. He's the owner and co-founder of the Black Tomato Group, parent company of the travel brands Black Tomato and Epic Tomato, along with the Black Tomato Agency and Studio Black Tomato. Uh, Tom and his friends were inspired by their travel experiences and wanted to start a company where they could travel and guide others to the amazing places they were visiting. Fast forward 15 years and Black Tomato has over 50 employees across two continents. We dive right into the thick of things, discussing how to build a luxury brand, how to use storytelling to inspire and attract customers, what it takes to create a sustainable bootstrap business, and much more. Hope you all enjoy. Here it goes. Hey guys, how's it going? Welcome to the podcast. Uh, We're recording out of Flatiron, uh, out of uh, Black Tomatoes office. I'm here with uh, Tom Marchant, Marchant, who is the uh, co-founder of Black Tomato. Uh, Tom, I'm going to hand it over to you. Tell us a little bit about, you know, what Black Tomato is, uh, what do you guys do, and how this thing got started. Sure. Well, firstly, thanks very much for having me on the on the podcast, Ben. Um, so, what is uh, Black Tomato? We are a we're a luxury travel company that specialises in putting together mind blowing travel experiences for clients um, to places all around the world. Um, we we started the business in London uh, about 12, 13 years ago. Um, based around a, an insight that the world's a fantastic place, but to explore and experience it in the best possible ways uh, can be challenging. Um, so was an opportunity to create a company that could be the best friend we all want to have in certain places around the world who can help you get under the skin of a place, who you trust to show you the best parts of the place and get you off the, the tourist trails and give you an experience that you know removes you and, and gives you memories for the rest of your life. So um, that's where it started. And today we have offices in London and New York, uh, clients all over the world who are coming to us in pursuit of their, their travel dreams. And it's a pleasure to, to pull these ideas and deliver trips to them day in, day out. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, looking at the website, uh, the, the experiences there are awesome. You know, just scrolling through makes me want to just book a trip like to pretty much any of the options you have available. Uh, and I know that this was started uh, with you and a couple of your you know, good friends, um, were they like your adventure buddies? Were you guys just traveling the world together and decided let's, let's start this travel company and you know, what's it like starting uh, a company, uh, with your close friends? Yeah. Um, and now, you know, 15 years later, mm. you know, still working with them. Yeah. Uh, what's that experience experience been like? Yeah. I mean, the, the, in terms of how it started, you, yeah, you, you captured pretty accurately. Uh, I've had two partners, um, James Merritt and Matt Smith and James and I are at college together. Um, and we, we sort of, we're on the same course, played a lot of sport together we, and shared a house together with other friends. And we, we kind of connected over a love of travel and also a want to eventually do our own thing. We both um, had fathers who'd been you know, entrepreneurs and so grew up around in an environment where we saw you know, what, what it was like to kind of build a business. And, and so, we, yeah, we had a love of travel and, and, and starting a business. So we traveled together both during college and then after college and met our other partner, Matt, when we were in Australia uh, and you know, one night, you know, over a few beers, we kind of found a kindred spirit who had a similar outlook, who, who wanted to work on something he was passionate about and, and pursue, pursue the idea of starting a business over perhaps a conventional career. So yeah, so we came back from those travels. We took jobs um, because we also wanted to get experience. Mm-hmm. We, you know, I think starting up is, is challenging at any time, but if you can have some experience under the belt, that's good. Did that and then, yeah, we eventually took the plunge and yeah, 15 years later, we're still working together. Um, it's been great working with friends. It definitely also you know, brings challenge. I don't think you know, anyone would uh, say differently, you know, to sort of maintain almost like two relationships, one of mm-hmm. a friendship and one of a working relationship. Um, but I'd say we've got it right um, based on the fact that we're still working together and still, uh, I believe, uh, you know, enjoy each other's company, which we do, and, and, and work hard for each other and, and share those similar passions. But, um, you know, it's, it's not easy to get right. I think we've, we've been fortunate that our collective outlook and approach just gelled from the start and, you know, it's kept, kept us going and being the fuel that's given the business's growth and, and direction, you know, since day one. 
Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's great to hear. Uh, I think a lot of people, especially when they're young, all, you know, they have groups of friends when they're coming out of school and they're all like, Oh, let's start a company. Let's, let's just do something. And, and like you said, you know, uh, usually people end up, you know, taking uh, jobs for a couple of years to get some experience. But the difference is that I think a lot of people, once they do that, they, you know, I don't want to say they get sucked into it, but they end up staying there. You know, they put their dreams of starting a company or, or starting something on the back burner because they just have so much stuff going on with their job and their life. What was it different? Like what was different mm, about the mm, way you yeah. and your friends did it that actually allowed you to stick to your original plan and, you know, yeah. leave your job and then go start this? That's a really good point. And yeah, kind of people, you start those jobs and then it's almost like life gets in the way of, mm -hmm. of some of these hopes and passions and aspirations. I think what was different for us was we, we always knew when we were taking these jobs that this was, this, that we ultimately wanted to do something else and, and, and something for ourselves and so it wasn't that like, I think you have some people who take jobs and, and in that job think, oh, one day I'd like to do it, but you know, the job then starts getting bedded down and it's harder to leave. So, so we always knew we wanted to do it, but I think also we knew that we needed to do it within a certain time frame because we were aware of that, you know, that mm -hmm. scenario you mapped mm -hmm. out happening to ourselves. And that was one of the reasons why we, we got a few years under our belts, but wanted to leave and start it then because, you know, we... We knew that at that stage, we didn't, none of us were, were married. Uh, we didn't have big mortgages. We didn't have, you know, sometimes like the golden handcuffs that can come with jobs that pay you a lot, but then, you know, produce a lifestyle that you actually need to keep that income coming in to kind of exist with that lifestyle. And suddenly, you know, if you move out of that and you go back to like living hand to mouth, it's a pretty, it's a pretty yeah. tough fall to take. So our view was we've got a few years under our belt. Um, we're young enough to take the risk because it's always a risk mm -hmm. and we were, I think, mature enough to recognize that, you know, sometimes these things don't work out, but if it didn't work out, we've got a few years experience under our belts. We could go back to the industries we're in, having had a go at it. Um, and I think, so that was it. It was like, let's do it now rather than, you know, if we do it in 10 years time, it's going to be much harder to do. If you've got kids, you've got to put through school. If you've got, you know, all the, all the, the additional things that come with, you know, growing up. And, and yeah, we also saw, you know, people in the careers we were in when we are getting experience, who was sat there frustrated, you know, going, oh, you know, I wish I'd done that. And, and I think the one thing that was, was different to us, we, we've always been, you know, rather than just dreaming about it, it's like, let's do something about it. And I used to get frustrated, not with people, but, you know, you'd hear so many people saying, oh, you know, I, I, I'm going to do this one day, or I should mm -hmm. do it. And I, I remember being at a conference and someone talked about this analogy of being, whether you're a mountain person or a valley person, and you probably probably find it every business management book. And effectively what it says is the valley persons, the people who sit in the valley and look up at the mountain, you know, they're the people who sit at dinner parties going, oh, I had this idea, I could have done that or I should have done that. But they were always yeah. talking about it, but they've never done it. And the mountain people are saying, well, I'm going to I'm gonna go and try and climb that mountain and I might not get to the top because that doesn't always happen, but I'm going to give it a crack. And that means at least, you know, in my sunsetted days mm -hmm. I can look back and go I gave it a go and, yeah. and 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 that's that's all I really kind of want to have I want to have that approach and that always stuck with me um you know and there's lots of different kind of analogies that kind of say the same thing but I think myself Matt and James have always been of that view that just give it a go have have a go and try and you know it is like it's cliche city but nothing ventured nothing gained and and we but we'd, we'd engineered it in such a way that we had some runway you know, about six months to try and get it right. But if yeah. we didn't get it right, we could still look ourselves in the mirror and say we tried and have our heads held high and go back to the jobs and, and, and go back to those careers. And who knows, maybe have a, maybe have a go at another business down the line. Mm. Um, but yeah, we were, we were always pretty comfortable with the fact that it was risky, but, but it was worth, worth the risk. And if, you, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, mm. you have to have that attitude. Yeah. I, I think you, you don't get, you know, you know, armchair entrepreneurs don't exist. You, know, you have to have an attitude of, you know, I'm going I'm to take, take the risk and it might not work, but it's going to be a journey regardless of what happens. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's super powerful. And I, I think you hit the nail right in the head. It's like, you know, the people who, I feel like at this point, especially with entrepreneurship being very cool and, and very encouraged to maybe even too many people 
are thinking like, oh, I should start a business. I should do that. There's like, I've, I've always said this, you know, although I have this, you know, podcast where I talk only about startups and like founders, there's nothing wrong with, uh, you know, not going that route. And it's, it's not for most people, but the thing is, if you believe that that is your route, then you just have to do something about it. Otherwise you're just going to be miserable because it's like with anything, if your expectations are, are so different from reality, you can never like your life isn't going to be where you want, no matter what happens. Like you have to reset your expectations and just really think about like who you are. And, and it looks like you and your friends, you know, you knew exactly who you guys were Mm. and you're like, we're going to do it. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But going back to your analogy with, with the mountain and and the plane, both people still end up back on the plane, you know, like whether or not it does, you climb the mountain. It doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't matter. And you're absolutely right about this, this level of, um, depression is probably extreme but unhappiness that people have you know and there are thousands of people in cubicles in offices around the world unhappy and unfulfilled and yeah some of them are in are in, are in positions where they, they can't get out of it it's hard and i'm not saying they're oh, just go and do it it's, it's easy as yeah. that it's not I, I appreciate that but but there are a lot of them who can do something about it and i think yeah to your point earlier about you know, entrepreneurship being cool and like you know it's almost like you know it's it's, it's a career now it's a vacation if I meet someone I say what do you do and they're like I'm an entrepreneur it's like well okay but like it's, what do you do yeah um, so I find it it has been um certainly picked up as this this world of yeah you know, it's a world of excitement because on, on the outside looking in I think everyone looks at you know the some of the success stories and some of the crazy numbers and people think oh that's just yeah like you said a really sexy thing to go and do the reality is very, very different. Mm-hmm. And for all the great success stories, there's there's thousands that, that hasn't worked out, but they're still feeling fulfilled because they've tried. And, and I think there has been, you know, if I look since we started this business, the rise in in coverage of entrepreneurialism and you know just pop culture engaging with that notion. So whether it's you know the you know whether it's Shark Tank in the UK, we have Dragons Den, or, yeah. or the fact that you know every weekend you're picking up a paper and seeing you know increasingly young people having success why would you not be interested in that i think the difference though is the people that understand that to achieve success or even to get into it at any level it requires real hard work Mm -hmm. and and real obsession with you know starting it up and, and going for it and not just brainstorming every day and you know and sort of getting up at 10 chucking a few ideas around and then telling everyone that you're an entrepreneur yeah. but not but that kind of forgetting that actually it, it requires hard work and 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 an idea and a focus to, to give yourself the, the smallest chance of making it work yeah yeah exactly and especially with your business like luxury travel mm. someone looking from the outside might you know look at you and your co-founders and say you guys are living the life you have this luxury travel company with these great like drone shots you yeah. know it looks like you're traveling in the world doing whatever you want making a lot of money but can you take us back to the very beginning because uh of course you have to you know create this image of your company mm-hmm. but right at the beginning like what was the what were the first steps and like what were the first things that you had to do to get this off the ground because it seems like you know logistically it's it's insane what you have to do. You're respond. You're taking people out yeah. on week long, multiple week long trips. Sometimes in remote places, like a lot of responsibility, a lot of work. Can you talk a little bit about yeah. that right at the beginning? Yeah, it, it, yeah. That, I think it's a very good point to make about you know the outward perception of, of the life because yeah, you get to deal with just beautiful places in the world and incredible experiences. But the the approach to getting that in place is incredibly uh, challenging and uh, rigorous. So yeah, at the start, um, you know, if, you, if you're building a travel company, the most important thing, uh, there's lots of important things. What you need to have um, is you need to have your network of supply relationships around the world. So people who can bring these places to life in the best ways for your customers. Um, but you need to know these people. They mm-hmm. need to trust you. You need to find them. You need to test everything they do. You need to know that not just 99 times out of 100, 100 times out of 100, they are going to be the best. They're going to, you know, everything from the quality experience to safety to to logistical moving. So you have to get that network in place. And that's for most travel companies, those you like your your crown jewels, if you like, those relationships. Um, and you have to get those people to believe in you. You know, so if you imagine, you go right to the start, three 25-year-olds who hadn't worked in travel before. Um, you know, you know, I think we we were... 
we had our smarts and our passion, but we had to convince people to work with us. Um, so, and there's was, was two things to convince. One, you had to convince the suppliers to work with yeah. us. So we could offer, we go and test it, but they might not want to give us rates or, or allow us to use a product. And then you obviously got to convince customers yeah. to work, to work, to, to, to buy from us. And in the luxury space, it's very hard to build a luxury brand when you're young because it's evolved since. But in those days, you know, luxury is very much often based on heritage and history and tradition. You know, you, it's about trust. So people are mm-hmm. like, well, you know, the, lots of luxury brands are out there saying, you know, we've been doing this for 150 years. You know, this is why you can trust us. And, and we didn't have any of that. So in those days, yeah, the, the, the two key things to start with were get our operational setup in place. So the relationships, the, the process, the ability to organize logistics perfectly, um, but then build a brand that would speak to this audience, um, establish trust and allow them to believe in us. Um, because again, we weren't coming from backgrounds or even careers where we had roller decks of you know thousands of names who are just gonna yeah i'll, I'll travel with tom james and yeah. matt because they're good guys we, we didn't have that uh luxury if you like and some companies are fortunate when they start they've already got like a a network that they can just plug into we didn't yeah. have that so it was really genuinely from the ground up from scratch every aspect of this but what got us through it was our just passion determination and, and relentless pursuit of wanting to work for ourselves and, and belief in that what we were going to provide was something that no one else was providing yeah Gotcha. So, so in terms of, you know, building this luxury feel and, and really establishing Black Tomato as a premier brand in the travel space, uh, how, how do you do that? Like mm-hmm. it's, you know, like you said, you're competing with people who've been, who have established names, who everyone knows who they are. When you just create something right at the beginning, no one knows who you are. You have to have people, you know, try this, test it, give reviews, but, but there's more to it than that. So like, how do you position yourself in that way? Like, what are the things that you have to do that can be applicable to any company, you know, not just travel, yeah. uh, software, anything that you really position yourself as, as a luxury uh, and as a major player when right at the beginning, you know, you're, you're just getting uh, your stuff off the ground. Um, th- there's multiple factors um, that go into that, but just, you know, some of the top of my head. Firstly was clarity of offering and, and sort of distinctiveness of offering. So, so you could kind of cut through, um, you know, when we, yeah, we had an interesting name, but that's not enough. It was, you know, the, the, the focus of how we approach and travel. And we were really focused on in those days, it wasn't nearly as ubiquitous as it is now, but the word experience and, and really how travel should make you feel as opposed to just, you know, there are certain websites or brochures that just listed destinations. It didn't tell you anything about the way you'd feel when you went there. And, our insight was actually people travel according to how they want to feel and it just never been positioned that way so when we launched the way we categorized the trips on the site was all according to what emotional need it would fulfill um, which was kind of unique and some of the places we were going to and the things we were doing were very different um, so that allowed us to start getting some coverage and some recognition or start some conversations about this is an interesting proposition um, so some of our product was you know, very distinctive, not all of our product, but we knew the lead distinctive product would stand us apart. Um, then the second one was, well, how do you establish trust? Um, so how do you establish credibility in, in your audience's eyes? So yes, you, you need people to go and test it. But again, we didn't have a thousand yeah. strong focus groups. So, so what we did was, um, and particularly for luxury, um, people still place a lot of uh, reliance and importance on um, you know, editorial endorsement, you know, mm-hmm. you know, uh, recognized titles and publications going, these guys, these guys are good. Um, so we, we undertook an effective press strategy. Yeah, we, none of us came from a PR background. We didn't, mm-hmm. we didn't know that, but what we, we were aware of is that there were certain titles that we read and that you know, friends are reading that. If I saw a title talking about a certain brand, doesn't mean I'd guarantee I'd use it, but I'd be like, okay, well, I, 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 I respect that publication's opinion because yeah. I've been reading it for years. So, so with that, we, we managed to build a strong editorial um, strategy mm-hmm. uh, and we got early endorsements from some major titles from the likes of Condé Nast, Financial Times, yeah. uh, the Guardian newspaper group, um, who, who we got to test. And then on top of that, we aligned ourselves with really effective partnerships with like-minded brands who probably had bigger audiences, but liked our approach, our distinctiveness, our point of view. 
And um, we then introduced our product to their audiences through their brands in, in partnerships. So I think we talked about in the early days that we, we built the brand on PR and mm -hmm. partnerships. Um, but we could only build it on PR and partnerships if you had clarity of products, yeah. um, something that cut through the noise and, and wasn't just, you know, homogenous. Um, so yeah, clarity of product, PR and partnerships, um, you wrapped those up and gave us a shot of kind of developing the brand. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like, and I, and I imagine it was, it wasn't easy, you know, getting these large publications to, to publish you. But, but when you think about it, you know, from their point of view, they're always looking for the new hot thing to then push to their audience, you know, what, what clicks is, is what they want to do. So if you can really just understand what the end user or the end reader wants, like they're going to publish it regardless of like who you are. That, that, that's it. Right. And absolutely spot on with that, with that insight. And I think we, you know, we recognized early that like these publications, they need, like you said, they, yeah. they want to write about things, but they want to write about things that are either new or relevant or current or have a distinct point of view that the reader is going to find interesting. And we were, we were very early on, we, we recognized that. And, and so we knew that, I mean, it's lucky that the off the product we had happened to be that. Yeah. Um, but I still, to this day, when I'm talking to people, when they're looking at PR, whether it's internally or other companies, I think so many people just think that, you know, you get in touch with the journalist and they're just going to cover you. And it's like, you've got to give them something to write yeah. about. You've got to, you've got to think about message. Message is everything. Um, and so what is it about your product that you can tease out that's going to make them think, yeah, I want to write about this or it's going to be relevant for my audience. So we constantly, even today, we're always looking as we develop new product or as we develop new services, we're thinking, obviously first, is this useful for the customer? Because if it's not, there's no point in doing it. But as we're doing it, what aspects of this can we pull out that are going to form good hooks that are going to allow or encourage, you know, publications and writers to say, yeah, this is interesting, I'm going to write about it. Because as that happens, so it brings more, you know, grows our awareness, brings more eyeballs onto the site where people learn more about the company. It all, it all fuels it. Yeah. Um, but it, it was crucial and it still is. It's still, you know, an absolutely key part of our marketing mix, how we, how we approach this. But it's always rooted in, is this of value to the customer? First and foremost, because it has to be. But, um, but also it just happens that sometimes these things that are very valuable to the customer, you know, it's because they're innovative and interesting, which therefore gives you, you know, fuel to take to, you know, the, the, the media who, who enjoy writing about these new things. Yeah. yeah. And I think the type of content that's so good and it's like being very heavily used now is just like not, um, like native kind of advertising. So you know, looking at your stuff, you write about, you know, the great place, like the great things that you can do in one location, like benefits of going to a specific uh, place, not necessarily pushing your trip. And and this is something that, you know, like in the past, like 10, 15 years took off every, every brand, like every strong brand is doing that. Um, so that, you know, it just, it just makes sense. And it's interesting to see like what the future will be. Um, and if there's any way like that can even be uh, innovated on. Um, and to kind of go back to, to the beginning again, sort of just out of curiosity, what was the first trip that, that you guys had offered? Yeah, it's funny. I was think, I was actually thinking about this the other day. What, what, what we did, we launched with a, uh, like a selection of trips. Yeah. Um, and those trips were trips that we'd taken ourselves and places we'd been to that we were passionate about. Uh, but it was a real mix, you know? So, I mean... There were, there were a lot of festivals, like events, uh, that we did in those days because they had a sense of urgency. You know, people wanted to go to those. Um, but, you know, we, I mean, we'd done stuff when we were 19 in the Philippines, you know, and, yeah. and which was good. So we I remember launching with this, this motorbike trip you could take across the Philippines, which was really, sounded really exciting. If I'm honest now, practically, it was really hard to do. So I think we used to sort of laugh about the fact that we'd, we'd put that up there and we'd done it, but yeah that'd be quite a, quite a tough one to actually go along and hide so yeah. so but yeah i remember yeah it was a lot of uh events around the world um and you know uh, i mean even in the early days there were, there were certain destinations like iceland um that we worked with that were just just absolutely spectacular places mm -hmm. and you know, iceland is still one of if not even the most you know the destination we know just inside out the, the, the stuff we organize these days in iceland is i think without comparison when it comes to anyone else doing it. And, you know, I think I always sound like I'm, you know, I'm, I work for the Icelandic Tourist Board when I talk about it. So yeah, this is not paid by the way. Uh, but 
um, yeah, that, that was that was a destination in the early days that allowed us to do interesting things because it's it's you know, nature's playground. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that came through and continued. So yeah, lots of those those places, but cool. it evolved. Yeah, yeah, I really want to go to Iceland. Yes. I want to see the Northern Lights, do the whole thing. Um, but we thought of like going doing the dog sledding mm. thing. I don't know if they do that in Iceland. Yeah, they, they do. They, you can yeah. do you can do husky in Iceland. It sounds like you can do anything in Iceland. Yeah. But um, yeah, you can. I think Iceland's an interesting one in itself. Just yeah, you know, as a as a journey, as the journey we've been on looking at Iceland because. Um, it's so popular now that it's yeah. it's actually falling into this this risk of over tourism, which is a, a real challenge for um, economies who rely on tourism. Um, so you want it, but you don't want it to strain the infrastructure and damage the yeah. environment so much. So, so what we're doing is we're actually working on some really interesting product um, experiences in the north of Iceland, in the really remote parts um, that are very hard to access. You can only take it, you can only get there by helicopter or or off roading for days. But mm -hmm. it's just remote wanders at every turn and natural springs are just sort of breaking through the earth's crust you know from volcanic activity that's happened last year that you can go and bathe in that no one's been in before yeah it's pretty cool stuff yeah and and to go off of that point i heard you're saying that you know iceland is becoming a very big uh, tourist spot mm. uh you know we're seeing that a lot with many different places in the world you know obviously air, air travel is more accessible now people have more money they can travel the world do you think you know in the future maybe 20 years from now there will still be kind of remote spots uh, in this world, like that people can still go and like do these really like kind of interesting travel uh, travel tours to, and just go where there are no humans. Or do you think you know eventually every place will be like you know crowded with tourists? Yeah. It's a good question. Um, look, I think there will be. Um, there'll always be the opportunity to get off grid. It's harder, no doubt. Yeah. I mean, I remember uh, you know when we started this company, you know we it was very easy to find places where you get off grid where you didn't have cell phone reception. Mm -hmm. And actually, you know, one of the best experiences I ever had was in Namibia, which is one of my favorite countries, and it's up on the skeleton coast. And it was great, not just because it was a fantastic place to go, but also my phone didn't work out there. And, and when it didn't work, you never had that worry of like, mm -hmm. I've got to check my emails or calls because you couldn't. And, and you then properly switched off. And we actually developed product lines in the last couple of years which is about going to places where you properly switch off and can't be accessed yeah I think there will always be places for, for that, that, that are remote for two reasons one places ebb and flow in terms of what what's popular and what's not and and so that the, the crowds of people are always moving between places and some places that are suddenly very popular will fall away and, and places and that's just the way the world works um, so places that are seemingly busy will get less so but in terms of generally remote spots Countries, um, landowners, you know, hotel chains are aware that isolation and remoteness is an attractive thing for yeah. people. So there is you know, work all the time about protecting the integrity of these environments. Um, I think it's an example is uh, Bhutan, where you know they only issue so many visas a year for people to travel in there because they want to protect the environment. Now, so that's always going to be there's always going to be an opportunity there. The challenge for some of the places that want to do that is. They actually might need the income more um, than is is able to be sustained yeah. if they don't let many people come in. So it, that therefore requires you know support from private benefactors, private landowners that can offer that. Um, but yeah, I think you will still have um, the opportunity to to be to get to remote places and get off grid. But it's definitely shrinking, and I think the ones that then exist in twenty thirty years will probably be ones that have been deliberately sort of structured to be yeah. able to deliver that which kind of feels a bit weird in itself because mm -hmm. you start like going well, this almost feels like a true man show yeah. sort of like <laughs> I'm, I'm getting remote but that's because or like, the, or like Westworld it's like I'm having my remote experience but that's because it's been set up to be that and the, the only reason I'm not seeing anything is because it's all strictly police I don't think we'll be there for in 20 or 30 years but you can see that down down the line that um, uh, you know more and more places in the world are, are can be easily accessed so how do you kind of deliver these special isolated moments before you maybe need to kind of create frameworks to allow that? Yeah, yeah we'll see. Yeah, yeah, very cool. And I think the thing about travel, uh, for me at least, I, I, I studied abroad in Australia um, a couple of years ago. And then when I was there, I, I did like an adventure uh, tour to New Zealand, which was really cool. And, and once you're there, you know, you start realizing like how amazing it is to be in this like kind of remote place where you know, you're just doing extreme activities, you're, there aren't really people around, there might not be good service. And, and in a way, it's, it's a bit addicting. Um, looking at your website, 
I'm saying that, you know, this is, again, it's a luxury travel company and, you know, it's like, what, what, what's the demographic of, of the type of people that actually book these trips? Um, cause the price points, you know, obviously are, you know, expensive. Mm-hmm. You're going on like a 10, 14 day trip. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what do the people who actually book these trips look like? Like, where are they in the stages yeah. of their life? It's a real mix. Um, and I, I don't deliberately avoid talking about specific demographics because it, it's, it's useful and it provides color and it definitely helps our strategy. But I tend to talk more about like, like the psychographics of the people because yeah. we have, we, we generally have clients from all age brackets. So you will have, you know, uh, guys and girls, you know, who are in a fortunate position in their you know, late twenties, um, right up to, you know, multi-generation, you know, grandparents and grandkids and mum and dad traveling together, retirees, you know, families, couples, honeymoons. So, so there's a real spread. What, what the consistent theme that links them all is that they're all curious people mm-hmm. and they, they have a, a real thirst for whether it's discovering new places or getting under the skin of classic places. There's a real uh, thirst for that. And that's what links them all. Um, and, and, you know, and, and also a want to deal with genuine experts. And I think, you know, travel, I think back to your earlier point, um, or a line of your earlier point, you know, it's, it, it seems these days it's easier to travel than it ever has been before. You know, the new flight routes are opening up, you know, you can, you know, rent people's homes. It, it's, it's never been more accessible. But what actually is also prevented is, presented as option paralysis for so many people, yeah. because it's just, it's totally overwhelming. Um, and actually sometimes the wisdom of the crowds and forums is not generally the wisest source of information. And when you uh, have precious time off that you need to make the most of, and you want to know that you're really seeing a place in the best possible way, you need to talk to someone who really knows it. You need to talk to experts. And if you are spending reasonable sums of money, you've you got to know that you're going to be spending that effectively. So so for all of the people that, that travel with us, they're curious, but they believe in working with experts because you sometimes don't have the time, the knowledge or the access to be able to kind of do these things. And that's where we, I think, come to the fore. Yeah, and I think, you know, from from my perspective, I was the type of person that, you know, once Airbnb was around, once, you know, it was easy to book a flight, easy to book a trip, I was like, I don't need to go to a tour agency. Like, I'll just do this myself. And you go somewhere and you realize, like, you'll never get as much out by yourself. Like, maybe if you spend weeks preparing and you're the type of person that can wake yourself up at six, you know, get everything done throughout the day. But, like, at that point, you might as well just start your own, like, travel well, the, company because, like, <laughs> it's, it's it's so rare. And it's just, like, not a skill that most people have. Like, if you really want to get the most out of a place, <clears throat> you you have to... No, you don't have to, but like trust. There's people who know it, and well, that, there's people who've yeah, done it. That, yeah. That's it. And look, I, you know, some people for them, it's I love, I love you know, planning my travel, and I, I get that. Yeah. People are doing imagery, but like you say, if you've suddenly invented like the ability to freeze time, or or you know, you don't have the rest of your life to get on with, or, or you or you are going to go away for a year, or you can take ten months to plan it. Maybe you can still enjoy it. Even doing that, you're still not necessarily going to be getting the best out of a destination because when you work with experts who have people on the ground in that place and are having a daily dialogue with what's going on, that's impossible to actually replicate or do yourself. And and I think the other thing is when you, you know, in, in other walks of life, you will go and deal with an expert, you know, so if you are, if your plumbing's knackered, you get, you get the guy around, uh, you know, you okay, you'll get your accountant around to sort your finances, you'll deal with your IFA, or you'll go to your personal trainer, or someone will, have, or someone will do their stylist. There's a degree of that in travel as well. It's like, if I'm going to take time off, I just want to talk to someone who really knows this, can help me. And it's actually all I need to think about is about enjoying the trip. Yeah. Um, and someone who will listen to me will tailor it to exactly my needs. They, so they, they take time to not only understand the place I'm going to, but also understand what makes me tick at home. You know, so what are my passions and my, my regular lifestyle choices that are important for me when I'm traveling? So that's what we do. We take time to really understand what makes you tick yeah, and then see how that applies itself within a travel environment. So yeah, and this is not me sort of here like beating the drum for travel agents, but there is more so than ever, I think there's this sort of move back, um, which is like embracing human connection, actually the emotional intelligence you get from talking to someone 
for this type of travel, I should add, I'm not saying for all types of travel, yeah. I think there's fantastic platforms and, and innovation and technology that have made your travel life much easier. Um, but when you're talking about bespoke trips, you know, to the ends of the earth or uncovering cities or accessing parts that you'd never get to, it pays to talk to an expert and yeah. someone who yeah. really cares about it. Um, and I don't think, you know, Alexa's not quite there yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when I think about it, it's like, I, I want to go, uh, when I, when I went to Israel, I thought about just going into the desert, just, you know, just going in, whatever, seeing what happens, realize, you know, probably not the best idea. Um, like same thing in Australia. I was like, I'll just go to the outback, you mm. know, just kind of, you know, venture out myself again, not, not a great idea. Glad I didn't do those things. Um, and, and again, for like you're saying for, for specific, for certain things, like you need to go with a group and you need to have someone guiding you unless you're already an expert. It's uh, also the, it's also the fear of, um, missing out on certain things. Yeah. You know? I mean, I, you know, I remember, you know, part of like what, so, some, some of the inspiration for me starting the company was, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd go somewhere and you'd come back home and you'd tell someone you'd, you'd been there and they'd go, oh great, did you go to that place? Yeah. And you sort of, you probably lie and go, oh you know, yeah, I did, yeah. it's great. And think, ah, you know, why didn't I? And, and I, I used to have this feeling when I travel to places, I'd, I'd be like in a city going, oh, I just want to make sure I'm not ticking off tourist places, but I want to really, I want to feel like I've really experienced yeah. the soul of this place. And in, and that can be frustrating, certainly in the days of guidebooks one, but even then when like, you know, with the internet, there's this the tidal wave of information that comes out telling you either this place is the best, this place is the best, and these forms, and it's like, well, you know, I just want to speak to someone who, who I think is on the same page as me, so they understand me. And then I can work with them and they'll be like, right. And again, it goes back to that thing I said at the start, you know, be like that best friend mm -hmm. that, you know, we have in some places in the world, but with Black Tomato, we are generally not the best friend for, for all the parts of the world you want to go to. Awesome. And to take a step back and, and look at um, Black Tomato as a, as a whole, uh, I know that you guys, you know, have a bunch of sub-brands now. So you have Epic Tomato, you have a, a creative studio. When you think about creating uh, sub-brands and and different parts of the original like umbrella business, mm. what goes into those decisions? And, and when is, when do you think like, this is the time to and start and, and break this piece away and, mm. and have it run uh, on its own or yeah. not on its yeah. own, but on yeah. a different course? No, it's a really good question. Cause, um, you know, I, I, I think sub brands have a role but you know, you see some companies that you know they're they're, they're launching sub brands all the time, and I think when you see that, it's like sometimes I think well, there must be something wrong with the core brands because they just keep launching all these sub brands, and and are you you confusing the customer, you're overwhelming them, and so with us when we when we launched Epic Tomato, the rationale for doing that was we do a lot of very extreme adventure travel, but that's just one part of the travel offering we have, and that type of travel requires slightly different language in terms of how you talk about it, slightly different uh, positioning in terms of how it's presented mm -hmm. and, and price and costed. And our view was that it didn't sit kind of that comfortably alongside some of the other stuff we did in terms of our travel, like maybe like, you know, luxury villas or, or private retreats, safaris. And it was, um, it was kind of good travel. Again, appealed to the same market um, who would use us for that and then would use us for the adventure, but also for their you know, different types of, of, of luxury travel. But we just wanted to give it its own space to live and breathe so we could actually then reach out to, you know, certain customers who were really interested in that level of extreme adventure, certain partnerships that were more suited to that than, than it would necessarily suit being under the sort of the core Black Tomato offering. So that's what we did with Epic. Um, and that made sense. Um, and, it, and it still does. But what we have now is a lot of people will come to Epic from Black Tomato. So we direct them into there. Um, and then the only one, I mean, then we have the two other kind of key areas we have is one is we have a, um, a business to business agency called the Black Tomato Agency that specializes in events and branded experiences for, for companies. Um, and that made sense to have that separate to our consumer facing brand simply because it's a different way of marketing and approaching people and, and, uh, and, and building the business. But they, they're, they're, there's a lot of synergies between those two areas. So people that use us for their companies and find out mm -hmm. that we can do their personal travel and, and vice versa. Yeah. And then the creative house we launched simply because we've been doing, we, I think you know, we talked a bit about earlier the role of content and content's been at the heart of building our business. 
Um, and we had partners coming to us saying that we want to partner with Black Tomato, you know, run a campaign with you. Um, and as part of that, we, we create content, whether it's shooting film, you know, creating content, artwork or, or written copy. Um, and after the partnership, these brands would say, well, actually, as well as partnering with you, can you just start doing, providing content and, you know, insight services for our, our general business? Um, and we just saw that developing. And so we're actually saying, well, let's just like, wouldn't it be good to have our own in-house creative agency that fuels our, our own output um, and just pull, pull in really, really strong talent from filmmakers to strategists to uh, writers, account managers, deliverers. Um, and then also it provides opportunities for us to you know, grow revenues with services to other businesses. But even when we're providing services to other businesses, say in terms of content creation, we're getting ancillary benefits because they then come to us and say, actually, we'd like to partner with your consumer brand as well. So there's, there's, so there's a there's a you know a network where they all join up and support each yeah. other. So any of these sub brands or separate agencies we have, they're all put in an ecosystem that we can see the benefits of them existing alongside each other and how they feed each other. Yeah, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And and going back to your early point, like companies that just create random sub brands for no reason, again, that's. First of all, you have to establish one major brand because if you start creating sub brands when no one even knows what the what the parent brand is, like like it makes no sense, and, and none of them are probably going to work out. It's it's not a solution. It's more of like like you were saying, it, it's part of an ecosystem. It builds the other parts, and the other parts build it, and and that's really what it what it's yeah, about. Yeah, definitely. I think the, it's the, the logic we always look at sub brands is like if you're going to do something, get it sound like a state of the obvious, but really really like understand what it, what it is you're doing that and actually is it because this this opportunity generally exists or it, it is the reason you're doing this more of a reflection on the fact that something might not be working with the core brand and if that is the case look at that first and and try and pick what that is and then understand whether you need to do more work on that rather than solving everything with a sub brand and i think yeah when you look in travel it's very easy you know we've definitely had you know conversation in the early days people are like well you should have cherry tomatoes for your family travel and every kind of form of tomato and and it's definitely tempting we definitely you know did some stuff in the early days where we we thought about that but for me now it's really like you said build your brand so it really stands for something and then in time if there seems like a, a reason to have something spin off understand that reason and, and if it can bathe in your parents companies brand values and, and benefits then that can help it but yeah. but you're right i think so many people just launch new things because, um, or launch new brands because they think it's another way to build a business, but they're, they're kind of undermining the, the long-term potential of the parent brand. Yeah. yeah, and it looks like, you know, you, you just have a very solid foundation that has so much room for growth, uh, especially with the, the, the agency. I think, I think B2B is, just personally, I think B2B is so much for anything. It's just so scalable and so like once you get a few really deep partnerships solid partnerships it just you know is a great way of like just keeping that and, and cash flow because like my belief is you know once a business finds a vendor or a partner that they like they're not going like if they're a big business maybe if they're a very small startup they're looking every quarter to to change them but for big businesses it's maybe yearly and like sometimes they just forget and like they just keep you there if you're if you're providing a good service yeah it's it's uh, t- 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 Agree, hundred yeah. percent. Um, and yeah, and, and and what that has been an interesting um, part of the journey is understanding different uh, marketing and sales and, and brand strategies between consumer and B two B. But yeah, finding 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 partners that you continue to have you know annual relationships with, where you you really build and strengthen relationship, where you enjoy working together, and like you say. To then for them to then go, ah, we're just going to go look elsewhere. Yeah. Why would they? Mm-hmm. Providing that you know, your your product is still great and that you manage the relationship effectively, and um, that's been really interesting to see that develop. And we've we've been fortunate to have you know, a number of partners uh, believe in us in that way to and, and stay with us. That's been great. Yeah. yeah. So it also looks like you know you hadn't raised any money for this company. Mm. Can you talk a little bit about you know what's that been like? What what were the advantages of you know funding this yourself uh and now you're at a point you know 15 years in where you don't have to necessarily think about an exit you don't have to think about i need to keep growing at a certain Mm. rate otherwise you know the investors are are Mm. gonna need to you know they're gonna have to do something i'm gonna have to go fundraise like what's been the difference and then stemming off of that point what now like when you look at this holistically like what is the the 
the result that you're looking for? Mm-hmm. Do you just want to keep growing, have a good time, enjoy mm-hmm. this? Or is there something else that uh, you're looking for, like to hit a certain number and then maybe do something else? Yeah. Well, to the first point, um, yeah, yeah, we were self, self-funded. self um, But I, I but I'd want to be clear, that wasn't, that doesn't mean like, you know, we, we, we just had, you know, millions burning a hole in our back pocket that we could just do it all, you know, had a, you know, a trust fund or something. We, we had, yeah. we had meager savings um, that we had saved while we were working on the jobs that I think I said earlier, gave us about, probably about six to nine months to kind of live off and, and, and pay for like, you know, building websites and stuff. But that was living at like, you know, really, really low levels of salaries, like far lower than the jobs we were in. Um, but what, what that did did two things one it made us um it kept us scrappy mm-hmm. and um you know just worked every angle going but but it but also the, the business we were working in travel if you got it right uh is actually quite a cash flow positive business because you know people have to pay before they travel um there aren't like loads of sunk costs mm-hmm. in terms of getting a travel business up and running i mean if you're if you're not going for a big tech play there aren't um so that did allow us to um, not need outside funding. And then the other thing was, you know, we, we got approached from outside investors, you know, from quite an early stage. But for the three of us, you know, it, the business was too young, you know, you know anyone coming along. And we, we weren't looking for money, but, you know, we'd always like, you know, if someone came and said, we want to come talk to you guys, you know, and they were coming from a, a reputable firm or fund or, or house, you know, it's always interesting to see what these yeah. people thought. Um, it's fun to see like how much they're rallying your that's company. it all that yeah you yeah. definitely do it's just, it's just like okay I'd be interested to see this so so we'd always like just listen to people but it, we, it was just it was never a stage where A we needed it or it felt right in terms of what people were suggesting or or valuation and so and where we are today is no the goal is to keep working on something we love um, we're not we're not sat here saying yeah we want to exit in two years and, and we have a we have a number we want to get to I mean, myself uh james and matt have always said as long as we keep loving what we're doing and and the business is growing that's important this is not a and I'm, yeah this is not a lifestyle business mm-hmm. you know yes do we travel a lot yeah but most of the time i'm traveling now it's it's planes to meeting rooms or to conferences you know we sadly we don't have i mean a lot of our staff do and it, which is a lovely thing you know get to go out and research the whole time sadly the three of us aren't really on research trips anymore, which was one of the reasons we started, we wanted to keep traveling. Um, so, so for us, it's those, as long as we are, um, as long as the, you know, the, the, the fire's still burning strongly in terms of within us to like keep growing this business and enjoy what we do, which is you know, creating these amazing travel experiences, building a company you know, of you know, close to a hundred people of, that we care about and are doing great things and you know, working environment that has a great culture and a great energy then we're going to keep doing that. Um, and, and, and we are, there is still a load more that we want to achieve. You know, I think it's been amazing to see the growth of Black Tomato in the States mm-hmm. um, over the last five years. It's been phenomenal growth and we're still growing in all our markets, but there's still so much more that, that we can do. You know, I think, you know, more and more people are discovering us and when they discover us and they, they, they read about us or they see our content or what we're offering, we're, we're, we're building this connection where people think, these are people like me and I want to travel with them. So we just want to introduce these services, whether it's our private travel, whether it's B2B or whether it's the work that our, our creative agency is doing just to more people who get us. And we know that there's huge amounts of potential still within the US, all over the world. So whilst, uh, whilst we still believe that and, and see the business moving in the right direction, that, that kind of confirms that, then we're going to keep doing what we do. Awesome. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's a great mission and, and it's, it's just really cool to see. Uh, so final question, yeah. you know, uh, just, I'm sure everyone's wondering this, like what has been your favorite trip that you've ever been on? That's probably the, the toughest question. Um, <laughs> or the one that like, yeah. you just think of travel, you think of all your travel history, like what just comes to mind? Yeah, I think, um, there's, there's a few, um, I think the, the, so uh, probably the best way to describe it is like things that like were like very formative, I think. So mm-hmm. there's definitely the trip that I took to the Philippines when I was 19 for a couple of months with one of my partners as well as where we just literally hitched, hitched rides on fishing boats around the South China Sea archipelago. And that just created this wanderlust that I think yeah. it just awoke within us to want to do that. 
Um, you know, I, I'd probably say one of the most amazing trips I've ever taken was in southern Italy in Puglia, um, where a friend of mine who owns, he's from the region, you know, and Puglia was, I mean, it's becoming very in now, but was a lesser known region of Italy where people would travel to. The Italians would go there, but we just traveled with my then girlfriend, um, who I proposed to on that trip. And oh, it was wow. very special. And then my, and then we subsequently got married out there. So, and it's not just because of the significance of, of, of getting engaged, although it's a very special place to me and, and where my wife and I love, but it was, that whole trip was just a sense of discovery of like this Italian culture that just, was just not really celebrated or known. And it felt like you've been let in on something. So that's a very special uh, part of the world to me. And then the other places that, I mean, I've been lucky to literally go everywhere, but <laughs> I think um, uh, time in Iceland, I think, um, you know, when you, the first time I think I saw the Northern Lights or, or there was a time when we were just, just driving across glaciers, not just, or hiking, we drove across and hiked and the remoteness is just, um, is very special. And then I, I lived in, I lived in Russia for a little bit and then I spent time in Moscow and that was a very formative part. I think Paris, I mean, I could go on forever. Just, I, I lived in Johannesburg and Paris and these places had left huge impressions on me. Um, but probably, actually think about this now, <laughs> which is a great experience, probably of late, the most mind-blowing experience was I drove across the States um, with uh, my wife just after she fell pregnant and we, when we moved from New York to LA and so we decided to drive it, we put all our stuff in storage in New York and shipped it. And then we, um, we drove and we drove south and went down through yeah, places like uh, West Virginia, Kentucky, Tennessee, Mississippi, Arkansas, and then out through New Mexico, Arizona and Utah. And that was just being on the road. Yeah. And like, we go all over the world and we do these bells and whistles things. And, and, and although it's very well serviced, you can still get the chance to explore. But this one was just this idea of you being on the road and, and just it just rolling out from you and seeing parts of this country that I'd never imagined were there and being exposed to that. So that was currently. But if you ask me this question, probably in two weeks' time, I'll have something else. So, but I think, yeah, formative things that have kind of been big moments for me on my journey. I think things that I, I, I always go back to. Awesome. And yeah, just to go back to that point, I think it's so underrated, the travel across like the United States. I think people think about, especially in the States, they're like, oh, I have to go overseas, I have to go overseas. But I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I honestly haven't done that much travel within the States, mm. but there are just so many cool things about it. And um, yeah, it just, it's, 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 it's spectacular. It's just, it's, it's huge. That's the thing. Yeah. Like you just, when you drive across it, just like my word, this place is just vast. Um, so yeah, it's, it's great. And I, yeah, although I don't live in the States anymore, I'm, I just think it's a very, a very, very special part of the world. And, um, and I just say to anyone, lots of my friends in New York or it's California, yeah, even Americans like just get out and explore because <laughs> it's, uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's brilliant. Yeah, for sure. And, and final note, uh, thank you again so much for this Tom. It's, it's been a really great conversation for everyone out there who's interested in your story, interested in checking out Black Tomato, uh, just tell them the best place to, to connect with you uh, personally. Sure. Well, again, thanks for having me on, Ben. And yeah, you can um, see what we do and find out the company on uh, blacktomato.com. Um, and then on our, you'll see our social handles on there, but we're Black Tomato Travel um, on Instagram um, and everything flows from there. But thanks for having me on. It's been great to share the story. All right. Thank you. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, go rate and subscribe to the podcast. Even share it with your friends if you found the lessons valuable. We do the show every week, so stay tuned for more episodes. And till next time.